Welcome to the Mayo Clinic Cardiovascular Continuing Medical Education Podcast. Join us each week to discuss the most pressing topics in cardiology and gain valuable insights that can be directly applied to your practice. Hello, my name is Paul Friedman. I'm chair of the Department of Cardiovascular Medicine. And today I have the great pleasure of being joined by Dr. Elizabeth Stevens, Associate Professor of Surgery who specializes in pediatric and adult congenital heart disease. Dr. Stevens, thank you for joining me. Thanks so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that may be less familiar to many cardiologists, and that is vascular rings or slings. So maybe we should start by simply saying, what are vascular rings and slings? Great question. So vascular rings and slings refer to a group of diagnoses in which vascular structures either encircle completely or partially encircle the airway and, and the esophagus. And so the vascular structures that we're talking about would be those branches coming off the aorta as well as the aortic arch. And so those, uh, depending on the anatomy, uh, you can have the arch going to the right or to the left, and then you can have different directions in which those vessels going to the head and arms come off. And if they're arranged in a certain manner, they can cause either a complete ring, so a complete circle, and we use the term ring for those, or a sling. And a sling refers to a vessel that snakes behind often the esophagus, but doesn't and can cause some compression or issues, but is not technically a complete circle or ring. So how are these diagnosed and how do patients present and at what age might we see them? So increasingly, um, this is being picked up actually on fetal ultrasound. So uh, not too many years ago, maybe about 10 years ago, the standard ultrasound that a mom gets includes a view that looks at the vessels coming off the aorta. And so if there's an abnormal branching pattern, they get additional imaging. So more and more, we have fetal diagnosis. And um, when the baby's born, we already have the diagnosis. Now that is you know, the contemporary era. That's not uh, the vast majority. And historically, that was not the case. And so the most common way that they are diagnosed, if you're not diagnosed fetally, would be through cross-sectional imaging, usually a CT scan. Now, that CT scan could have been done for a completely different reason. So it was an incidental diagnosis. Or there may be a patient who has been struggling with vague symptoms, often shortness of breath and trouble swallowing. And in that workup, they get a CT scan that um, diagnoses the vascular ring. The hard thing um, and in terms of that, that, that diagnosis is that the symptoms are vague and they're most commonly associated with other etiologies. So shortness of breath is much more commonly going to be COPD or asthma or lung disease of other uh, mechanisms. And it's much less commonly going to be a vascular ring. And similarly, issues with either swallowing or other types of dysphagia have, you know, other mechanisms that are much more common than a vascular ring. So uh, I suspect then they're often not really suspected until someone orders a CT scan and then they see the anomaly. Is there a specific kind of scan you would want to order if you were suspicious if someone had unexplained dyspnea and swallowing problems or uh, other symptoms? Uh, well, something with contrast is best. And often, even if it's the phase is not um, ideal for our, uh, our reasons, we can still figure it out. But a CTA, where you want to be able to see the head vessels, basically the ascending aorta and arch are 
the key areas that you're looking at. Interestingly, the um, degree of airway compression and esophageal compression is less well diagnosed or um, quantified on a CT. This is often dynamic obstruction. It's either a dynamic study or a bronchoscopy can help confirm that. And then in terms of the esophagus, actually uh, a barium esophagram, including more solid foods, is the are the most helpful. So, but the anatomy itself is best demonstrated with a CTA. Got it. Okay. So any diagnostic study of the esophagus or of the airways might give clues, but the CT, at least in the adult, is best for, for making that diagnosis. Right. Uh-huh. Got it. What causes these vascular rings? Well, we don't have a, any specific either gene or specific mechanism per se. And it's also nothing that has been associated with either an exposure during fetal life, whether that's a medication, a food, or any other sort of um, exposure. It does not run in families. Um, it does not cluster like that. So we don't have a specific mechanism. Um, that said, we do understand from embryology how this goes, comes about. So if you remember the aortic arches of uh, embryology, they're um, symmetric and on the left and the right. And during embryologic development, normally certain arches involute and others remain. And as that process occurs, that forms our normal anatomy. So a normally a left aortic arch and then the normal head branching pattern. When certain vessel, certain of those arches don't involute and others do, that's when you get these different, um, and there's a pretty diverse actually pattern of, of anomalies that you can see. Now, there are a number of those anomalies that don't have clinical consequence. So um, may be abnormal, but not either cause a clinical issue or need a, a, any sort of, a, sort of repair. And then there are a group that um, are causing clinical uh, issue and, and we do repair. So you touched on the issue of repair. So let's, uh, and I recognize that diagnosis is often delayed or difficult because the symptoms are nonspecific, but um, person at whatever age gets a CT or a diagnostic study and the diagnosis is made, what's the treatment and how, what's the approach? How do you take care of this problem? Right, so that does depend on the specific type of vascular ring. So maybe I'll start out with one of the most common, which is right aortic arch, left ligamentum, and that um, half of those patients also have an aberrant left subclavian. So the anatomy, if you want to try to picture it, is the aortic aorta is coming off of the heart, heading towards the head, and it turns, goes around the esophagus and the airway to the right. And as it comes around, there is still the left ligamentum. So if you remember, the ductus is connecting your pulmonary artery to your aorta and is used during fetal life and becomes this ligamentum. Well, that's on the left side. So that creates a complete ring around the airway and esophagus. And as I said, half of these patients also have an aberrant left subclavian. And why that's important is these um, patients can have something called a commeral diverticulum. So that left subclavian is actually behind the esophagus and that commeral's diverticulum is an aneurysmal portion, which is at the base of the vessel. So patients who are having compression usually have compression for two reasons. One is that left ligamentum that's creating the complete ring. And the second is if they do have a commeral's that there's that area of aneurysmal uh, artery that is also causing compression. So if you do have that anatomy, you basically end up 
breaking or releasing the ring. And so in this, in that particular anatomy, you would um, release the ligamentum and then also move that subclavian and get rid of that, that aneurysmal part. So in a younger child, we do this through the left chest as a pretty posterior incision. So it's by the scapula. Um, and we are actually able to move the subclavian onto the carotid all through the chest. Once so you get- maybe to, I, if I can just interject, no, yeah. no, one comment here, and that is for listeners who are just listening to this, it sounds complicated, um, but Dr. Stevens has provided an image that will be available on the podcast or uh, for those of you who are seeing it on the YouTube channel, that makes it very clear. A group of blood vessels and ligaments that essentially strangle the esophagus and trachea within them. The question is, how do you release it? And the variations are nicely outlined in the diagram. So I'm sorry. So you're mentioning in young children, it sounds like a thoracotomy, an incision between the ribs can mm -hmm. repair uh, the, the most common anomaly. Right, and we're if they're fetally diagnosed, we're doing that on the order of one to two years of age. The ribs are really quite pliable at that point. They recover very quickly, and they don't have um, the the pain that a you know an older child or adult would have of a thoracotomy. Um, and then you minimize the amount of time that your airway or esophagus has any compression. In a older teenager or adult, this um, is harder to perform all through the chest. And so this is something that we generally move the subclavian to the carotid and that's done with our vascular colleagues and that's an incision in the neck area. And then we actually um, go through the chest and take care of the portion of the aorta that, is, uh, that needs to be taken care of. And so then that is also a thoracotomy and that's using partial bypass. So in adults, um, it is a, a bigger operation. It takes longer to recover, um, but those are kind of the two main strategies. And those two approaches are part of the same procedure or it's a staged procedure or does that vary? Great question. So for the latter example, those would be a staged procedure. We often do uh, those a day apart in some patients where we wanna decrease the anesthetic, um, such as like a teenager, um, in particular, where there could be anxiety to undergo surgery twice, we'll do it under one anesthetic, but it's technically two stages that are back-to-back. -back. I see. So obviously, incredibly complex and specialized surgery. A couple of questions you know, come to mind following that. So you're an astute clinician. Your, your patient has had shortness of breath, swallowing difficulties. You get the CT scan. You see the problem. The first question I would have is, after the patient goes to surgery, are there special post-operative things that the cardiologist should watch for to suggest there's been a, a problem? What are the most common, potentially the complications or things that require attention post-hospital dismissal? To your point, that's an excellent question. One of the things that I think clinicians should be aware of is someone who's had a quote-unquote vascular ring repair, potentially as a child, may not have had a complete repair. So if you have a ligamentum division as a child, you can still have, for instance, a subclavian and a Connell's diverticulum that's giving them um, symptoms. So this is something that I've run into a number of times where I think it's confusing to clinicians because they think that they've had a vascular ring completely repaired. The patient is reporting symptoms and it, it seems to be uh, not consistent with uh, their story. So, so the first thing to note is a ligamentum repair may not have solved all your problems. The second thing is if you have had a, a complete repair, 
um, and that includes the uh, what's called a translocation or transfer of that subclavian to the carotid, as well as the aortic replacement. Pretty unusual to have issues with that portion of the aorta. Um, more commonly would be um, standard kind of perioperative cardiac surgery uh, issues like wound um, that you might be concerned about, effusions, things like that. Um, we do get actually repeat CTA imaging after the discharge just to make sure our anatomy is as expected. So I think those would be kind of the main things. Now, given how complex and uncommon these conditions are, what's our own experience at Mayo Clinic in um, treating rings and slings? Uh, well, Dr. Pocatino, um, my colleague here, has really done a lot for adult uh, vascular rings, uh, which I, I think would have the largest experience in the country here at Mayo. So um, he um, has added so much to the field with that. I trained in Chicago under you know, a very a historic place for vascular uh, rings and slings, and it, it was eminent place in the country for, for that, uh, which uh, tended to have more of the younger patients, pediatrics and uh, teenagers, young adults. Um, so we, we are lucky that we have um, so much experience in this. We see a lot of referrals from all over the country and sometimes all over the world who are asking for second opinions. I think it's, um, there's such diversity in vascular rings in terms of their anatomy, what a patient might need, it's a, it's really a niche and they're just, um, if you haven't seen a lot or had a lot of experience, it does um, pay to just have, you know, years of seeing all sorts of types and, and how best to repair those. So we're very lucky in that regard to be able to offer this for our patients. Um, one last question. What happens if a vascular ring or sling is untreated? What sorts of complications do you see? That's a great question. Um, in general, it does depend on the type. So for instance, double aortic arch is much um, more likely to have significant consequences and they tend to appear much younger. Interestingly, and this is, you know, of course, uh, how we're made, patients really learn to compensate. So when you meet um, patients who are older, who have just had a, a vascular ring diagnosed, uh, the patient may mention, oh, well, I didn't, I don't really like bulky foods. I tend to like, you know, smoother foods. I'm the last person to leave the table at the family dinner table, um, those things. Because um, as a child and as you grow up, you learn how to compensate. And so that means eating slower, chewing your food very um, thoroughly, drinking water with food or things like that to help compensate for this. So there is overall, uh, there, this is symptomatic relief that we're mostly uh, helping with. It's unclear some of the uh, tracheomalacia and bronchomalacia, we wouldn't expect that uh, the earlier that's repaired, the less consequences you would have. There isn't good data with that. We certainly do see even children who get vascular rings repaired who still have bronchial and tracheomalacia that's significant and can even need a tracheostomy. But uh, we don't have good data to specifically say that when you repair earlier, you're going to relieve uh, and avoid those complications. We do know in adults that um, after vascular ring repair, there's a, a significant percentage who have intrinsic esophageal disease. And mm -hmm. so even though the vast majority 
do have a significant improvement in their symptoms. There is a minority that has some residual and it's actually intrinsic esophageal um, motility issues. And of course, you know, the question is, well, is that because they've had years and years of compression? And, and we, there's so much that we don't know that we're still looking to learn, but um, hopefully that answers some of what you were, were asking. Well, Dr. Elizabeth Stevens, thank you for this fascinating discussion on this important and uncommon and often late diagnosed condition. Although it's nice to see that that's evolving with improved intrauterine imaging. Thank you for joining me today. It's been terrific. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today. Feel free to share your thoughts and suggestions about the podcast by emailing cvselfstudy at mayo.edu. Be sure to subscribe to the Mayo Clinic Cardiovascular CME podcast on your favorite platform and tune in each week to explore today's most pressing cardiology topics with your colleagues at Mayo Clinic. This has been a Mayo Clinic podcast.